here at First Baptist Church for Cameron and Dave and Michaela and Jill, Susan, Haley, Tressa and Deanna back here at Learn and Grow. We've just all pulled together and uh, done a lot of work, a lot of logistics. We still got some bugs to figure out uh, sound wise and how all this is going to work. But uh, it has been, man, it's been a blessing to see them pull together and to see all the work that has gone into um, to moving us into this, into this new space. And um, Barrett Gagney and Josh Gerber and Nathan Wells are doing the live stream and running cords everywhere. And just, uh, I just want to take a minute to thank, thank all of you guys for your work and all that, that you've done. It's been, a, it's been a blessing to see for sure. I prayed a lot about what to tell you today, what to say this morning. It's our first Sunday in the gym. I know it's D now, uh, and a lot of you guys actually don't go to this church and you're visiting here. Uh, you just get stuck with what we're going to preach, so that's it. Um, but I thought a lot about what, what I should say, what you need to hear, what we need to hear in this new time, in this new building, in this new space as the new building's being built. And then I realized, you know, what we need is for God to speak. So it doesn't really matter what I think you need to hear. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in Galatians. As we're going through the book of Galatians, we're going to continue on. About two weeks ago before Easter, we left off in Galatians chapter 1. And we walked through that chapter for a few weeks. And now it's time for us to begin chapter 2. Because chapter 2 comes after chapter 1. And so that's what we do next. But while I was studying and preparing and praying about chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and, and getting ready to um, present this text to us today, what I found is that once again, God, as we walk through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, God has put us in the perfect text today to speak to who we are today, what we need today, and what it looks like to be faithful during this time. Now remember, Galatians, the book of Galatians was written because the churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted in the region of Galatia were being infiltrated by what we called Judaizers. These were uh, Jews who professed to be Christians. They were teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is risen from the dead, and that faith in Jesus is necessary for salvation but faith alone in Jesus does not save. If you're a Gentile and you want to be saved, you want to be right with God, you must trust in Jesus, but you also must be circumcised. You must be walking in the law of Moses. You must do all those things. And so Paul is writing this letter to tell them that that is not so. These teachers also taught that Paul received the gospel secondhand from the Jerusalem apostles, and then he corrupted it and changed it by taking out circumcision and the law of Moses in order to please the Gentiles that he was preaching to. So if you remember in chapter 1, when we walked through that chapter, Paul responded to them saying that anyone teaching a different gospel is accursed. He said that in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He said, if anyone, even an angel from heaven, preaches a different gospel than the one we preach to you, he said, let them be accursed. And he chastises the Galatians in chapter 1 for listening to this false gospel. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the one who called you to listen to these, this false teaching. 
And then as we continued in chapter 1, Paul recounted his conversion. He recounted the early years of his ministry. And he showed them and us, as we read Galatians 1, that he didn't receive the gospel from any other person. He wasn't instructed by the other apostles. He received his gospel and his commission to preach the gospel from the risen Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And he received it completely separate from the Jerusalem apostles. But now, as we begin chapter 2, Paul is going to turn that argument and also show that although he received the gospel independently of the other apostles, the gospel he preaches is the exact same gospel that all of the apostles, even in Jerusalem, are preaching. There's only one true gospel. It is that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried. On the third day, he rose again, and by grace, through faith in his name, we are saved and declared righteous by a holy God. That is the gospel. So let's read verses 1 through 10, and we'll see what Paul says in this section. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with, with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. It says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. And then it says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry in the, to the circumcised worked also to, through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. I'm having a hard time reading this morning. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would be with us, that you would watch over us as we are, we are expounding your word and that you would speak and you would speak clearly. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this text, and we begin in verse 1, I want to show you the setting. It's the Jerusalem meeting is where he talks about after 14 years, we went to Jerusalem. After 14 years of preaching and evangelism and all of his ministry that we saw as we walked through the book of Acts, Paul finally goes to Jerusalem, not because he was summoned to go there, but because of a revelation from God. There's some debate about whether this trip to Jerusalem is the trip that he and Barnabas took in Acts 11 when they brought monies from Antioch because of the famine in Jerusalem, or whether it was Acts 15, the Jerusalem council to deal with the Gentile question and all that. If you want to talk about which one it is, you've got a strong opinion, come talk to me. We'll talk about it. Other than that, that's all we're saying about that. But Paul goes to Jerusalem regardless, and he sets his gospel before the Jerusalem apostles to make sure, he says, that he wasn't running in vain. It wasn't that he went to see whether his gospel was right or whether it was wrong. He knew it wasn't wrong. 
He knew that Jesus had given him this gospel. We saw that in chapter 1. But if the Jerusalem apostles affirmed this false teaching that one must be circumcised in order to be saved, one must be walking after the law of Moses to be saved, then all of Paul's ministry would be in vain because all of his converts, Gentiles, and all these churches would be reverting back to law-keeping for salvation. And that gospel saves no one. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem, but he brings with him an object lesson. Titus. Titus is exhibit A. He is an uncircumcised Gentile who has come to faith in Jesus Christ under Paul's ministry. Later in the book of Titus, Paul will write to Titus and he will call him my true child in a common faith. Here's a test case. Will these Jerusalem apostles, these Jerusalem believers, will they require this Gentile Christian, Titus, to be circumcised in order to be right with God? And right here in verse 3, we have the answer. They agreed with Paul. The true gospel is by grace through faith, and they did not force Titus to be circumcised. And this really is the main point of verses 1 through 10. Paul is showing the Galatians that even the Jerusalem apostles who these false teachers were holding up as the be-all and end-all of the gospel, even they affirmed Paul's mission, they affirmed his mission to the Gentiles, the gospel he was preaching, and they were all preaching the same gospel. He's showing the Galatians that these Judaizers among them who are adding works to salvation for the Gentiles adding to the gospel, they were wrong and they should be rejected. He's telling them why what he said in chapter 1 should be upheld, that they should be accursed. There's only one gospel and Jesus' apostles unanimously proclaimed it by grace, through faith, in Christ. But as we walk through the rest of this section, these 10 verses, and we look at Paul's argument, what we find is really some essential truths that, that apply so vitally right now to us as individual believers and to our church as we're going through all of this change and all of this, uh, all of this building process and all of this transition that's happening. And the first thing that we see that is true in our lives, it is true in our walk, and it's true in our church, is that this gospel is worth fighting for. So, Titus shows up with Paul. In verse, three it, sa- or verse uh, 3, it says this. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So he brings Titus, this uncircumcised Gentile Christian, to Jerusalem And there are some there among the discussion that happens that Paul calls false brothers. Just like in Galatia, these people claimed to be Christians, and they would have certainly said that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has risen from the dead, that you must trust in Jesus. But Paul calls them false brothers because they distorted the gospel by, in this case, by adding circumcision, by adding, keeping the law of Moses. Paul says they were secretly brought in and they were spying out the freedom that we have in the gospel. Freedom is going to be a major theme in the book of Galatians. By the gospel, Jesus has set us free from slavery to sin. 
He set us free from depending on the law for righteousness. He's freed us from our inability to keep God's law. And Paul says that if anyone adds to the work of the gospel, adds to the message of the gospel, whether it be circumcision or anything else at all, any work, any religious ritual, anything, it enslaves those who trust in that gospel. He says they're trying to bring us into slavery. You become a slave of the whole law for righteousness if you add one tiny thing to the gospel. Paul calls them false brothers. And he says, to those people, we did not yield, not even for a moment. They stood against them with all that they had. To Paul, this gospel, the true gospel, it's worth fighting for. It's worth the battle. It's worth the heartache. It's worth the conflict. Now, Paul was, in, in other circumstances, Paul was a very gentle and a very, a very appeasing person for Christians who had like weak consciences or things like that. Many times he said, listen, I know I can do whatever this is, but I won't do it to uh, appease the conscience of someone else. Even sometime after this meeting, uh, Paul has Timothy circumcised because he was half Jewish and he didn't want to offend the Jews that they would be evangelizing. But when it comes to the doctrine of the gospel, when it comes to the teaching of salvation, when it comes to the truth of God in salvation, there is no backing down. There is no compromise and there can't be. To give an inch to a distortion or a dismissal of the gospel is to undercut God's message of salvation and it's to enslave the souls of all those who trust in that false gospel. This is worth fighting for. It's worth standing for. Believer, it's worth the battle. It's worth the struggle. Notice why Paul says that we didn't yield to them for a single moment. It's so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, he tells the Galatians. Paul isn't just fighting to be proven right. He isn't just trying to win the day for truth. This is not just a matter of right theology. There are souls at stake here. There are literal people, just like Titus, who are clinging to the gospel as their only hope, and their only hope is the gospel. This is worth the fight. Because of all the people that are coming after who need to hear this message that the gospel might be preserved for you, he tells the Galatians. Believers, we need to be reminded, serving Christ as his ambassador, which we are all called to be and all called to do, is hard. It's not easy. There's a lot of fight that goes into it. A lot of striving when you don't feel like you're making any headway. A lot of opposition against that from inside your own heart and from the outside. It's hard. But it's worth the fight to follow Christ. It's worth the fight to follow Christ faithfully so that others will see. It's worth the fight to evangelize so that others will hear. It's worth the fight to live for Christ in our marriages, in our families, in our lives, in our schools, in our jobs, in our grocery stores. That means wherever you go. It's a joke. You can laugh at my jokes. Come on, help me out. 
It's worth the fight to stand against those who distort the message, who add works, who add religious, religious rituals, who add anything to the message of salvation. It's worth the fight to bring truth to those who dismiss the gospel and preach and teach self-help principles or life improvement coaching that really has no power to save or change lives. There are souls at stake. It's mind-boggling how the world is going so absolutely crazy. Insane ideologies and worldviews are just taking root everywhere. The culture is descending into madness at a, a, a breakneck speed where good is called evil and the most despicable of evils is called good. Believer, you have the cure. You have the answer. You have the message. You have the only solution for all those who are being caught up in this tidal wave. The gospel is worth fighting for in your life, in your family, in your circle of influence, in your job, in your school, all those around you. It's worth fighting for. The gospel is worth fighting for in your individual life as you are a believer called to be an ambassador and it's worth fighting for as our collective body together here at First Baptist Church. We're, I know you saw all the stuff out front, all the bricks and all the wood and all the concrete. We're not just building a building here, a structure. We're building a culture where the gospel saturates all of life. Where the word of God is lived out in community. Where disciples are being made. That's what we strive for. I mean, yes, we are building a building as well. That's why we're meeting in the gym. It'll be, our, our, our striving is for it to be a, a place where future generations can come and hear the gospel. So if you're asking, why are we meeting in the gym today? Why do we have to go through all this? Why do we have to listen to the sound hum and, and back off and go, get louder? and go? Why do we have to go through all this inconvenience and all this stuff? Because one day, some lost soul is going to come through those doors and he's going to trust in Jesus because one day, our children are going to need a refuge of truth as the world is being filled full of lies. Because we must be able to look back and be able to say, we did not yield to them in submission for one moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Believers, that's our calling. We have been entrusted with this mission for this time. We've been entrusted with it. It says in verse 6, and those, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been un, un, entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Stop there for just a second. Paul continues showing that the gospel he preaches is the same gospel that the Jerusalem apostles preached. It's the same gospel Peter's preaching. It's the same gospel James preach, is preaching. He says that when he laid his gospel before them, they added nothing to me, Paul says. 
They recognized God's call on Paul's life, his mission. They understood that just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to the Jews, Paul had also been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. They preached the same message. They preached the same word of God, the same gospel. Paul was just entrusted to bring this message to a different people group. The gospel message of the apostles is a unified message given once for all to the church, and we can be confident in that message. And just as Paul was entrusted by God with the gospel to the uncircumcised and Peter to the circumcised, so each of us have been entrusted with it for where God has placed you and before whom God has placed you. Each of us has been entrusted as an ambassador of Christ to serve the kingdom of God by evangelizing, by discipling one another. You have been entrusted, believer, at this time, wherever you are right now, in whatever heartache you're in right now, in whatever circumstance you're in right now, in whatever's happening in your life or in the life of your family, you've been entrusted at this point in time, in this moment, in this place, with the gospel of Jesus Christ to make disciples, to grow as a disciple, to be an ambassador for your king, to stand for the true gospel when so many attempt to distort it or misrepresent it or, or just downplay how important the gospel is. As believers, we are stewards of the grace that God has given us in the place where God has put us. Paul says, when they saw the grace, he's going to say that in verse 9, that God had given to me. We're stewards of his message. It's our call to give it to our families, to give it to our friends, to give it to the people whose God, God has placed around us. We're entrusted with this call to make disciples. God has given each and every single one of you believers in this room a mission and a calling and a place to fulfill that calling. It may not be exactly where you hoped it would be or where you're striving for it to be in the future, but where it is right now is where God has placed you. You're entrusted with the call that He's put upon your life. And we cannot neglect it, we cannot take it lightly. And the same thing that goes for you as an individual goes for us as a body. At, at FBC, we are entrusted with a mission that the gospel would be preserved through us. And that's why we're meeting in a gym today. That's why we're doing all this. It's not to have a nice, comfy building. I refuse to let our focus be on all the bricks and the mortar and the, and the wood out there. I refuse. It will not happen. It's not so we'll have a comfortable place. A new building is not the goal. Having a design or a decor that just appeals to everyone's preference, I don't care. We've been entrusted here to make a place where the Word of God is, is taught faithfully and it's lived out in community on our watch. A bastion of truth, if you will, regardless of what the new and next ideology that comes out is going to be. We're entrusted to make this a place to raise up disciples who can stand for Jesus Christ against the gathering storm. We've been entrusted by God in this place at this moment to pass the baton on to the next generation. Back in the mid-70s, I was alive then, yes. In the mid-70s, 
a group of people at this church did the same thing. They sacrificed, they gave, they built the sanctuary that we've been meeting in. They fought for it. And because God's working through them, through their efforts, through their faithfulness, the gospel was preserved here for us who have come after. Almost 50 years later, we can look back at their sacrifice, at their pulling together uh, to, to, to build a place then to expand their gospel ministry, to expand their disciple making. And we can be grateful to God that they preserve the gospel here for all of us. They were faithful to what God entrusted to them. And now we have the opportunity to do the same. We've received the baton, if you will, from those who ran before us. And we're going to pass it on to the next generation. You received the baton of the gospel, maybe from your parents, maybe from a Sunday school teacher, maybe from a friend, maybe from a neighbor, whoever it was. And now you must pass it on. 20 years from now, when I'm probably dead and gone, hopefully not, you're supposed to say, no, okay. All right, I'm going to be leaving first today. I'm going to go to the door. <laughs> you never know. You never know when. You never know when. But someday in decades to come, let's say a hundred years from now, when everybody in this room is dead and gone, some family is going to enter into this place. And one or more of them will trust in Jesus and be saved. And that family will have a place where, where true gospel discipleship and loving community and the high view of the Word of God will be available to them. That's the culture that we're building here. Not the building we're building, the culture we're building here. An oasis of truth in a desert of rotting culture. That family will have, yes, they'll have a building that will last decades but more importantly, they'll have a culture where they can raise their children to be warriors for Christ, ready to face a culture that desires to stamp out the truth. That family that we've never met and we will never meet is worth fighting for. That gospel, that the gospel would be, be preserved for them. But more than that, right now, your family's worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. Your brothers and sisters, your neighbors, your friends, they're worth fighting for. Listen, when worldviews collide in the public square, as is we're seeing happen now, laser light shows, dance numbers, and self-help sermons aren't going to help you. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to stand. We've been entrusted with this moment. Not just for bricks and mortar. But in your life, in your situation, in your calling, in, in the place where God has you, in whatever's happening in your life, in your home, in your school, in your job, we're entrusted with this moment. Now, at FBC, we're, we're not in competition with other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches. There are a lot of them in the greater Wichita area. We're in cooperation with them for the kingdom of God. But this is our station God has entrusted us with the mission here. This is where God has posted us. This is where God has called us together. This is where we're called to be faithful. So no matter what others do, we must be faithful to speak and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ where God has called us to be.
We've been called for such a time as this. Not just for buildings. Believer, you've been called for such a time as this. The gospel is sorely needed in our culture, in our world, in our community, in our families. We're called to be faithful. And in order to be faithful, we have to be united around the main thing and not let the other things divide us. Last thing I want you to see is that the gospel unifies us. Finally, in verse 9 and 10, he says this. And when James and Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here Paul once again reiterates the main point of this section. The Judaizers in Galatia who were adding works to the gospel, they don't speak for the Jerusalem apostles, they don't speak for Paul, for Peter and for James and for all those guys. In fact, When Paul explained his gospel to Peter, James, and John, they affirmed his preaching. They affirmed his gospel to the Gentiles. They affirmed that God had given the grace of his mission to Paul so that the Gentiles would be saved as well. And the Jerusalem apostles, Paul, Peter, Peter, James, and the other guy, John. Sorry, my my brain's moving faster than my mouth can keep up. So when... When he told them, he says, they gave, they gave us the right hand of fellowship. The only thing they did tell them was to remember the poor in Judea. This wasn't just about, hey, do good for people. Don't forget to do good for folks. It meant Paul was to remember to keep unity between the Jewish church and the Gentile church. The Judean church at this time was poor and struggling. We noted that in Acts 11. There was a famine in Judea, which was the whole reason Paul and Barnabas brought monies from Antioch down to Jerusalem. And all through Paul's travels to Corinth and Philippi and all the places that he went, he took up collections from the Gentile churches to bring to Jerusalem to the poor Judean church there. The whole church, Jew and Gentile, was united together, aiding one another Loving one another, standing together for the truth of the gospel. Make sure you notice this. When it comes to the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, there is no compromise. Paul didn't yield to them, he said, for one moment. So there can be no unity where the foundational truth of the Christian faith and practice is denied. But as believers who affirm the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ... That gospel must be what unifies us, regardless of what other differences that we have. The gospel must unify us. We must be unified in the gospel above all other things. The gospel is what binds us together. As believers, we are one in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your preferences are, what your background is, what your skin color is, what your abilities are, what your characteristics are. We are one. We are brothers and sisters of the King of Kings. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings, brothers and sisters of one another. And we are proclaiming victory and salvation of our King. And this, this building... It's just a tool. It's just a tool to help accomplish the real mission. When it's all said and done and we're back in a new sanctuary, our work will just be getting started. 
I know that a finished building, all gussied up and pretty, it's not going to be everybody's preference in every way. But that's not what unifies us. This pretty brown mat we put down on the floor may not be to your aesthetic, but that's not what unifies us. Our unity comes from the gospel. Our unity comes from our mission. Our unity comes from our Lord who has indwelled us and made us one. We are in Him. And our unity must remain there because there are souls at stake. We must band together despite our differences and fight so that we can look at generations from now and we can say we didn't yield in submission to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. So that you can look at your great-great-grandchild and say in my life, when my heart opposed what God was calling me to do, when my friends opposed what God was calling me to do, when the whole culture opposed what God's Word says, you could say to your great-great-grandchild, I didn't yield to my own heart. I didn't yield to all the pressure so that the gospel would be preserved for you. So that the gospel would go to those to whom God has sent me. And make no mistake, He has sent you. The gospel we've been entrusted with is worth fighting for. Today, there are souls at stake. Today, it's very possible that your soul is at stake. Where will you spend eternity? Maybe you've trusted in a gospel that said, well, yeah, of course, you've got to trust Jesus, but you also got to do this, this, and the other thing. That's a false gospel. This, that, and the other thing, good works, all of that stuff is an evidence of salvation, but it's not added to salvation at all. Trusting in Jesus alone brings salvation. A work of God in your heart. Maybe today you've never trusted in Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ by faith. Today is the day of salvation. You can become part of God's family, adopted as a son or a daughter. This gospel is for you. It's for your children. This gospel is given freely, openly, and it's, it's so easy that it's unbelievable. <laughs> Trust in Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would, that you would just go with us on the mission that you've sent us on. We know that we cannot be faithful outside of you. We know that we can do nothing without you. So it's not going to be in our strength. It's not going to be in our resolve. It's not going to be in our commitment we know that we are weak. We know that we can do nothing without you. So, Father, we pray that you would enliven our hearts, that we may walk faithfully, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the desire to follow after you no matter where the path turns. God, and I pray that you would give us just this vision of what you have called us to do, who you have called us to be, and that you would give us mouths that speak the gospel, lives that show the gospel. 
hearts that desire to see others receive the gospel. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would just call upon their heart, that you would draw them to yourself. Show them the true gospel, that you gave your son to die, to pay the payment for sin, so the payment is made in full. And the only command you give us is to trust, to believe in him, to trust that He died for my sins. Jesus, that you gave your life for my sin and the payment is met and is done. God, I pray that you would make that a reality in the lives of hearts today and that you would call us and draw us and strengthen us so that we may be faithful. God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't have a stage to step down, so I'm just going to walk over there. If you want to come pray, please come forward. Will you stand with me?